Well, thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, we are so excited to be in this space. And um, as Carissa was talking about it, we want this space uh, to be a gathering space for us consistently. And so um, I was thinking this morning, I'm like, what is a pop-up worship service? Like, what does that even mean? And uh, the truth is, is it's to work out the kinks, right? It's to really figure out what is it that we need? What is it that we desire? And how can we best utilize this space? And so um, we're hoping that this would be a consistent space uh, for us uh, starting September 26th. And they've been so great to work with. And so really glad to be able to do that. And so um, also in the long run, I think uh, just logistically, uh, I would love to see us partner with a local school in the future. Um, it's a little bit more cost effective and I, in, in the long run it may be more beneficial for us to be in a school, but this is a space I think that um, could be really helpful to get us uh, started. So, um, Well, I, I want to talk about prayer today. Um, and I know that each of us, as I look out at you, uh, each of us has a relationship with prayer, a way of uh, seeing prayer. So I want you to bring that uh, in today as uh, I'll explain some of the desires of, of, of the why we kind of get there. But let me actually pray for us and then we'll get into this text here. And so Father, thank you for um, time and space um, to be present, to be here. And um, some of us come into this room and uh, we actually just need a little bit of hope. Uh, some of us walk into this room and uh, we're bored and we're ready for something different. Some of us come into this room and we are ready, we are excited, and wherever it is that we find ourselves today, God, would you meet us here by your grace? Would you allow us not to just talk about hope and love and grace and prayer, but God, could we experience these things as a people today? It's in your name we pray, amen. So a uh, famous theologian, Karl Barth, he said, to clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. To clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And that's what these texts are, actually. They're invitations into a relationship with a God whose, whose ears work. I know that sounds kind of funny, but that's, the, that's what the psalmist is saying in, in, in your bulletin there, that Psalm 116 passage. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. God has ears. And I was thinking um, about a week and a half ago, I sat down and I said, oh, we're doing this pop-up, I'm so excited. What, um, what are we gonna talk about? What, what, what would be something that would inspire people, that would help uh, give them vision for what it is that we want to do? And um, maybe it's just me, but I get this uh, strategic brain going on. And I'm like, oh, what would be helpful? And I, f I, I froze. Um, I was actually on my computer at the time and I was watching the news and it was like, COVID and Afghanistan and hurricanes and Haiti and just reflecting over the last year and a half, all that we have experienced collectively, it's too much. And I was like, I don't have the answers like in and of myself for those things. Like I can't do it. I don't have enough wisdom in me for those things. And I came across this verse in Romans chapter 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And I was like, what if that is sort of a, a litmus test for our spiritual life, right? We'll just do it here. Rejoice in hope. I'm like, I'm trying to be hopeful in this season. Be patient in tribulation. We have been, right? Like that's all we've been doing is being patient. And then I got to the last part. Be constant in prayer. And I was like, I guess I give myself a three out of 10, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And so sitting there and reflecting on our community and the trajectory and the things that, you know, we wanna do, we wanna accomplish, it was like, what, what is the, 
the next best thing? How do I um, position myself against the disorder of the world? Because quite frankly, I'm desensitized to all of it. Like that, that's, that's what I come to. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel as though I lead with empathy where I normally would. My, my compassion is running low, like it's fatigued, right? And so I thought, what do we need to do? And, and what do we normally do? Like we collectively are people who are thinking about these things constantly, right? We're processing the grief, the, the trauma that we've been through. We're talking to different friends about it. But one of my concerns is that um, I'm prone to sharing to other people, but am I taking these things to God in prayer? And I really think that that's the starting place. If I really believe that God is who he says he is, if I really believe that Jesus is going to do all the things that he said he's going to do, then why would I not go to him in prayer? And so that's my hope for reunion, especially as we're popping up, you know, we're here to worship. What would it be? It would be that reunion would be a place in a community of prayer, trusting that God will have his way. And so... Before I get to the text here, it might be a silly but worthy question to ask, what do I mean by prayer? What is prayer? Uh, The classic definition, if you come from maybe like a Presbyterian background, is um, praying is lifting mind and heart to God, right? Just lifting mind and heart to God. And a uh, a little bit ironic in some ways where we talk about um, where I'm saying, oh, like, we, we need to be people of prayer. Ironically enough, in March 2020, Google searches for prayer peaked. They had never been higher. And so the uh, University of Copenhagen actually placed um, a map of the amount of times the World Health Organization and the coronavirus was uh, talked about and Googled. And they placed that up against a map where prayers were, um, were Googled. And they correlated perfectly. And so as this crisis sort of hit us, what did people do? People said, I don't, I, I'm out of control. I don't know what to do. I need something uh, to root and to ground me. And we went to prayer. And so there's so many different types of prayer. There's fixed hour prayer and devotional prayer. But for today, what I, when, I, when I talk about what is prayer, I want, to, I want to define it here like this. Prayer is union, connection, and intimacy with Jesus. And so you'd say, well, that's actually kind of reframes things. It's not just me talking at God. And we'll kind of unpack that um, today. But it's union, connection, and intimacy with Jesus. And so here's how Jesus says it in our passage today. It's on your bulletin. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I love this ask, seek, knock, this sort of simple invitation into uh, an approach of prayer to God. Uh, If you're anything like me, uh, I I read the passage a couple times this this week and I thought, how naive that I would just, that I would just ask in this way and expect, you know, that, that God would meet me. Or if I, if I pray with enough tenacity, if I pray with enough intensity, then God will hear my prayer. Because if that's the case, I'm like, God, give me a a great two-bedroom in the neighborhood for free. Like, I'll take that, right? I doesn't even have to have laundry, but, like, I'll take the apartment, right? If if, if it's that simple, ask, seek, knock. And, of course, people can twist the verse to, you know, turn God into sort of a a, a genie. But I didn't want to miss that Jesus himself is, is inviting us to say, what is it that you want? What is it that you so want? And how can I, through your prayer, answer the need? Ask, seek, knock. 
So um, my wife Katie and I, uh, we uh, just planned a trip to Miami and uh, I was so looking forward to going to the beach, you know, drinking a drink with an umbrella in it. Um, and then we were just probably like four or five days away from the trip and I was like, oh wow, Miami is in that state, Florida. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing right now, like with COVID and our daughter. And so I was like, uh, let's, let's cancel. And so we cancel our trip and, um, and because Florida didn't declare a public health emergency, we could get no refunds um, for our hotel. And I was so irritated. And so I started Googling, I started reading articles about how to get refunded and what to do. And there's some great information on the internet about how to do it. And I was like, I want my 600 bucks back. And so I read the articles and I make the phone call. The first guy I talked to, he's like, I'm so sorry, no refunds, you booked a non-refundable hotel. And I read the articles, so I was like, that's unacceptable. I was like, is there anything you can do? And he said, no, there's nothing I can do. And I said, well, then you need to transfer me to the next person. And so part of this is public confession here, what I'm gonna get to, okay? So my legs are actually shaking when I'm on the phone call. And like, I'm like, I, I hope they have a chat function. I'd rather use that, you know. The next person, Sweet Mary, um, we were on the phone for an hour. And we, we, after about 20 minutes, get to 250. And I read the articles. And I said, no, 250 is not enough. Like, we're minimum 400 back on this. And she's like, that's all I can do. And I just grind. And I said, this is terrible. But I was like, how much do you make an hour? I was like, because that's how long I'm going to sit here with you. And so, and I know, that's brutal. I know, I know. And finally, I talked to the boss. This takes me two and a half hours. I talked to the boss, and I got to my 400 because I asked. I asked, I asked, I asked, and I got to the 400 because I believe that these people have, can do something about my problem. And I'm tired of big banks thinking they can do whatever they want, right? But in the same way, I wanna pray this way. Like I wanna pray that way, asking God as if he actually has the ability to do something. Like I wanna pray as if God has the power to intervene in Afghanistan. I wanna pray as if God has the ability to comfort us in moments of anxiety. I want to pray um, that God has the ability to give us clarity in the unknown of our futures. And so maybe what's worth taking the time to do so that we can personalize this, right? We're, we're coming to the text as people, so how do we personalize this? And the way that we do it is actually to think about what is, it our, what is our struggle in prayer? And so I'm just gonna put some stuff um, out there and we'll see if it sticks for you. Um, but why is it so difficult to pray? And we'll just start like low bar. Let's talk about the practical. The truth is, is we are too busy and um, too distracted. Right? We're too busy and we're too distracted. I, saw, I heard a great metaphor this week about um, how um, busy and hurried we are. Uh, and the metaphor was that we get sucked into our day. It's like uh, the, uh, the car washes where you uh, pull up and you put your front tire in the wheel and then you put your car in neutral, the car goes in neutral, you take your foot off the brake and the car is taken in and washed. And the metaphor was that that's what our day is like. Like we wake up and it's like we're already getting sucked through our whole day, right? The alarm goes off. We're consumed with texts or alerts from the day before that we never got to. Uh, we're listening to the morning podcast. We're hitting the news on our phones. We're drowning out the morning grogginess with coffee, sucked into work, addicted to our phones, like all of these things that you all know. But then we never think, well, should I pause or could I pause and pray? And so there's a practical element to it, right? The busyness, the distraction. And what that ultimately leads to is a disconnection from God and from the world and from ourselves in a lot of ways. So we're not just busy and distracted though. We also find difficulty in prayer because 
we actually don't know how to pray. And I don't mean that offensively, and, and maybe you're already like, no, don't tell me I don't know how to pray, I do. But what I mean to say is that we've come into the custom of praying what we think God wants to hear. And so um, we pray in a way where we approach God where he's like a parent who's asking us to be on our best behavior. And so we present sort of a facade to God and it's not actually praying reality. And I'll come around and sort of answer, uh, give an answer to, to what, this, what a solution to this could be. But it's almost like when we pray, we're going to a job interview of a job you really want. And you sit in the interview and you say, how can I present myself in such a way to where these people know that I am the best? What is it that they want to hear? And so we think, maybe God can't handle all of me. And so I, I'll present myself uh, what he wants to hear, present myself to him in a way he wants to see me and hear. And then the last one is that prayer inherently requires trust. If I said before, um, prayer means a connection to Jesus, uh, prayer means intimacy with Jesus, intimacy, like it or not, um, brings us to a place where our control is in question. What do I mean by that? Uh, when you fall in love with someone, what are you, what are you doing? You're giving your, your heart, your, your life to them in, in, a, in a friendship or a marriage or whatever relationship it is. We give someone in intimacy, we give them the ability to do us great harm or great good. And, and it's similar with, with God. On one level, I come to God in prayer and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to put the weight on God because what if God doesn't come through? Then I have to deal with the implications of that. I think sometimes I don't pray because I don't think God is actually listening. I feel like sometimes if I'm honest in prayer, I'm just talking to myself. Or um, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes my prayers are so selfish, which I, 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 I want to keep in tension. Like God hears our selfish prayers. And I think this verse is actually a really great illustration of that, that God hears these selfish prayers. But sometimes I'm like, am I actually just trying to manipulate God into doing my will rather than his in prayer? Or what happens um, if I pray like, really important, like, God, protect my family, keep them safe, and then something tragic happens to them. I don't want to put that weight on God. But the text is telling us that's exactly what we should be doing in prayer, is putting the weight on God. And so uh, I want to pull four things out of here as we sort of diagnose, you know, what, what it is, why, why we pray a specific way, or what our tension is um, with prayer. And so I'll reread these this verses, and then we'll look at these four things. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And we're starting to see uh, the, the uh, nature and the character of God here. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And the first thing is this, is that we need to learn to pray reality. We need to learn to pray uh, reality. Uh, we've been, this, through this summer, uh, we've been uh, online in a series in the book of Psalms. And I, I, the Psalms are, we, we, don't, uh, we don't read enough of them. We, like, we have our favorites and then we stick there. We have to read wider because uh, what, I really, what we've been saying since the beginning of the series is that the Psalter is a school for prayer. 
And so like we're being invited into different authors in different ways of praying. And uh, in the text, you see seeing people yell at God, people declaring their love for God. We see writers depressed and anxious, like people just completely at their uh, wits end. But one of the things that I always find comfort in is that um, when I read the Psalms, I'm in good company. They validate my humanity. I'm like, yes, I've been experiencing this. Yes, I'm angry in that way. Like all the emotions are present and yet they present a God that's big enough to handle us. And so we have to pray reality. So we have to stop pretending like God doesn't know us. God is not unfamiliar with our emotions, our tensions. He has proved that to us through his son, Jesus. Jesus being the incarnational God, experienced all of the emotions. And so, and, and, and additionally, the Bible is um, remarkably realistic, right? Like the shrouded in scandal. Like we're hearing stories of scandal in the church. And I'm like, yeah, have you also read the Bible, right? And there's redemption in the Bible. And hopefully there's redemption in these stories. But... I think that's the tension that we live within is that um, when we pray reality, we come to God and we say, God, I'm weak, I'm helpless. That's why at the beginning of the pandemic, people came that way. They said, I literally have nothing else to do, but I'm, when we come realistically to God, we say, God, I'm weak, I've been hiding, I'm sinful, I'm in shame, but I know that you see me as I am. So we pray reality. The next is that we pray responsively, responsively. Prayer is never the first word. It's always the second word, and God has the first word. And this is understated because of the ways in which we approach and think of prayer, how we uh, get into prayer. Uh, I actually uh, didn't do a great job of this this morning. I pulled Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and just said, this is our text for today, without ever saying, what's going on around? And Jesus in this passage is actually in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving a an ethical teaching, right? He's, he's saying, this is what life is like in my kingdom. This is the things that I want to do. This is what I want to represent. And then he says, ask, seek, knock. But it's, it's not just like taken out of the blue, like this is, this is the first thing to do. But actually, Jesus has had a lot of words leading up to this point, and, and this is situated in the midst of that. And so prayer is response. It's continuing a conversation that God has initiated and started already through his word and through his son. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter one says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So you know what it's like when um, you've, you've gotten a text from a family or a friend and they send you some shocking news like via text. And what's the first thing you do? You're like, why did they text me? Like, no, like I'm calling them immediately, right? You call them and you don't say, hey, how's it going? You know. No, you, you don't just jump right in. You jump, you, you do jump right in. You say, what, what's going on? What, what happened? Like, tell me more from your text. And that's what it's like to pray responsively is that we're actually in these ongoing conversations with God. There's a joy and connection in sort of a constant conversation um, with God. And this is an important point because um, the power of prayer is not in our effort. It's not in our uh, technique but rather it's in the person and the experience of the work that, that's already been done through Jesus. And so the third thing is that we pray expectantly. And this is exactly what this text is telling us to do. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I love that. Like bread and, um, bread and fish would have been obviously the most common food around um, the Lake of Galilee. And so this round loaf would maybe look like a stone and the, the snake might be taken for a fish. There's like these eel-like catfish in the sea of Galilee, but Jesus saying, 
okay, if you're good to your children, like how much more will God be good to you? And I love this little phrase, just like a little casual dropping in. If you then who are evil, right? Jesus is like, I know your nature and yet you still provide for your children. How much more is God going to do that? And so the point being is that we have a nature and God has a nature. And the thing about God is that God in this text is called a father. And so we approach God as a father and what a joy it is, right? Like you've, you've heard the Abba Father prayer, like Daddy God. Like I can approach God as a father who's gentle with me, who, who listens, but also God is a king. Like over and over again in scripture, God is called this triumphant king who's gonna come uh, and, and make all things new and he can do something about it, right? The king has authority to do something about it. And so we have a king and a father. So how can we pray? We can pray expectantly. He's gonna take care of it because that's who he is. I love uh, Tim Keller says, uh, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child, right? The only way you can approach the king is if the king is also your father. And we have that kind of access. And so maybe in this realm of praying expectantly, we should ask like, do I, do I really believe that prayer can change things? Like, do I really believe that if, if, I, if I actually spend the time to ask God, present myself to him, God, I need you in this season, whatever it is, you're, you're thinking right now, you know, about what, what that might be. But maybe the question becomes then, can prayer change reality? Like, can, can prayer change our reality? And I think that it can. Here's what Dallas Willard says, and I, I, I meant to put this in your bulletin. Um, it's a little bit long, but, but try and hang with me here. It says, God's response to our prayer is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as if it does, regardless of whether or not we pray is not, is, or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of those who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with a dead ritual. Of course, this is not the biblical idea of prayer, nor is it the idea of people for whom prayer is a vital part of life. And so we pray expectantly because prayer can change reality. And then here's the last thing. We pray persistently. Persistently, right? Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I know so often uh, we're prone to saying, God, what is it that you want for me? What do you have planned for my life? Am I heading in the right direction? And I love verses like this because it's like, here's God's will for your life. Rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Like that's God's will for you in this specific season. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a terrifying experience um, in our building. We have a very small elevator. And so my wife and my daughter and I and her stroller like uh, jam into the elevator and you know, we press the fifth floor and we just wait. And Katie and I are just talking and before we know it, we realize we're stuck. Like the elevator has stopped on the third floor and it's not moving. And I look down at Rose and Rose is like smiling and just playing and I'm like, okay. And Katie's like, we were talking. She's like, oh, this is annoying. I was not where they were. I was panicked. And instantly, you know, Katie is pressing the button on the door to, you know, call someone. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And it was this moment where I was like, God, 
I, I, I was like, help me, I am so anxious right now, I really want out of this elevator, and I, I, I don't know what to do. And I, um, I saw this moment in my own life where, maybe, maybe for me personally, this is the, the pandemic at work, where I was so lost, and I didn't know what to do, and my go-to was prayer. Not to say that that would, that would casually be my go-to, but here's a moment where I'm at the end of my rope, and I think in moments of our lives where we'd say, well, you know, I don't really pray unless it's like tragic or like, you know, it's so scary or don't see a way. I think God loves those moments. I think God loves those moments where we come to him and we pray persistently where all life is about prayer. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to leave some space for us um, today to practice this and to teach us a way of praying. And so if you have anything on your lap or um, something distracting, you just, you, if you wanna set it down, um, I'm gonna guide us through this um, prayer. Um, has anybody ever heard of this, the prayer of examine? The prayer of examine, okay, a few of you. Um, so the background to this prayer is, um, it was started by a Spanish soldier, uh, a Jesuit named Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And um, it may seem strange to you, but I think it's a really fantastic way to be present. And um, if nothing else, We'll get some silence in your day today. So um, here's the steps, and then I'll walk us through it. It's, there's five steps. The first one is presence. And so we're just going to be silent. We're going to become aware of God's present, presence. Um, we're going to review the day in gratitude, uh, maybe the last 24 hours. We're going to pay attention, thirdly, to our emotions. Number four, we're going to ask for forgiveness. And then number five, we're going to look forward to tomorrow or the next 24 hours. All right, so let's, um, let's close our eyes. And if you want to take a few big, deep breaths, the first step is just presence. Holy Spirit, God, you are welcome here. We breathe you in. Number two, we review the day with gratitude. Look back on the last 24 hours. What moved you? What happened? What could you be thankful for? Number three, pay attention to your emotions. When was I the most loving or most able to receive love? When was I most hurtful or unloving? Number four, ask for forgiveness. Invite God to come in so you can respond to him and receive what he has for you.
And lastly, look forward to tomorrow, the next 24 hours. What ways could you see the next 24 hours in freedom and hope? And so, Father, we come into this place and um, we're desperate to hear your voice that uh, you might meet us in love, that you might be a God who does hear our prayers. And so we can come plainly and boldly. And um, even now, as I think about being in this place and thinking about the future of our community, may it not be that um, our community is one established on really great strategy really good ideas, strategic locations, but that we might be a people that are genuinely desiring to be connected to you, to asking, Father, what is your will? And that we might act out of that. And then for us personally, God, that we might hear your still small voice to give us guidance and direction, to remind us that your grace is sufficient, that there is nothing that we have to do to earn your love. Or if we're just ready and excited for the future, God, would you show us that you have made a way and that you're good? Father, as we come in, in a second to um, the table to, to take your bread and, and your body, I, uh, I pray, God, that you um, would make this a tangible reminder that you are a God um, who's willing to put, all, put it all on the line because you love us. And it's your name we pray. Amen.